Welcome to Menopause Reimagined. I'm your host, Andrea Donsky. I'm a nutritionist for more than 18 years, and I'm in menopause. I'm a menopause educator, menopause researcher, and I'm the co-founder of WeAreMorphous.com, a company that helps to empower you in perimenopause and menopause to take control of your health and symptoms with nutrition, lifestyle, supplements, and research. Today, I'm doing a very special show because I am starting a new series where I speak to community members from Morphus, but also from our Menopause Reimagined podcast listeners. So if you want to be on our podcast in the future, I'm going to put a link below because I would love to speak to you. So today's guest, I was introduced to by a mutual friend. And when we were talking, I found out that she does some really cool things, including launching her own company while she's in perimenopause. She's in her late 40s and she's launching a skincare line. Her name is Susan Campbell and she's the founder and CEO of Phosis, a skincare company dedicated to nourishing women during perimenopause and menopause. For the past 20 years, Susan has applied her extensive knowledge of yoga and Pilates in a therapeutic setting to create effective movement and strengthening strategies for clients suffering from low back pain, osteoporosis, scoliosis, arthritis, and cancer. With a special emphasis on clients 50 and older, Susan has witnessed firsthand how important strength, mobility, and balance are to successful aging. Passionate about a lifestyle rooted in wellness, Susan turned her attention to skincare after realizing how certain ingredients were negatively affecting her skin. After completing a diploma in skincare formulation and becoming a menopause coach, she created Phosis, which offers not only efficacious skincare solutions, but also education on lifestyle choices for thriving during this extraordinary chapter. Today, we are talking skincare. Let's welcome Susan to the show. Welcome to Menopause Reimagined, Susan. Thank you, Andrea. I'm so excited to be here today. And I'm excited to have you. And I'm excited to do this series because we met through a mutual friend. Mm -hmm. And when we spoke, I'm like, you know what? I would love to have you on this podcast because you have so many interests and you're starting a new company, you're entrepreneurial, and yet, you know, you come from the fitness world and yes. you beekeep. <laughs> you're like, yes. I was like, oh my God, so many cool things that I think a lot of us would be inspired to learn about. So I'm excited to have you on and, um, and to just kind of ask you a whole bunch of questions and have you inspire our community. Sure. Of course. There is so much that we can talk about. I wanted to talk a lot about skincare today and beauty health, because I know from my own personal experience that when I was starting that transition into perimenopause and my skin was really changing, I was clueless about what those changes were, why they were happening yeah. and how to manage them. It just seemed like none of my skincare that I had been using was still working anymore. My skin was getting drier. I was getting rashes. I was getting scaly spots. They would itch and it would be winter time and the skin would flake. And I just really felt like there's got to be more that to learn about this. And so that inspired me to become a menopause health coach and inspired me to go to aromatherapy school and inspired me to go to skincare formulation school and to use all that information to really understand what was happening to my skin and why and how to make a difference about it. Well, whatever you're doing is working because for those of you who are you, so for those of you who are listening on our podcast, I highly recommend coming over to YouTube when you have a minute. We're going to put a link below and actually seeing what Susan looks like. Your skin is absolutely beautiful, and Thank you're you. right. You know, it's interesting when before I was in menopause and I even knew I was in perimenopause. I remember once I met this woman and she was saying to me she had been in menopause. I think it was like five years at that point, and she was saying how her skin change so much, you know, even three, four years into being into menopause and being in menopause. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, my skin is so dull and it's just not yes. the same. And it's so dry. So what you're saying is so important that we actually understand what's happening to our skin so that we can do something about it. And we absolutely can do something about it. I know that sometimes menopause and perimenopause feels like we're out of control of our own bodies. Like there's all these shifts happening with the hormones and we are not in control of those shifts, but there are absolutely things that you can do with your skin. So the question that I get most is that, is there anything I can do to help wrinkles from the inside out? Mm, and the yes, answer is <laughs> yes, there absolutely Good. is. So before I cover what you can do to help from the inside out, let's quickly cover what you should 
not be putting into your body if you want to make sure that you have the most glowing, radiant skin possible. So okay. you won't be surprised at this first one, smoking. Please stop smoking. Mm -hmm. If you are still smoking, smoking does horrendous damage to your skin and likely to the inside of your body at all. But of all the things that people engage in from a lifestyle perspective, it actually is very, very harmful to the look of your skin over the time. So if you are still smoking, please go ahead and cut back or stop if you can. Next up, and a lot of people really don't like to hear this, is that alcohol does have a negative effect on your mm. skin. So if you are one of those women that is reaching for that glass of wine every single night and you're doing that over a period of years and years, cumulatively, that is going to have a negative effect on your skin. So I'm not saying that you have to stop drinking alcohol, especially if that's something that you enjoy as part of your life and socializing. But I do want people to understand that if you are con consuming alcohol regularly, it is eventually going to show up on your skin. I agree. And for other reasons. So now I have another yes. reason to say, I mean, you know, one of the interesting things is, and I was a never, I was never like a huge drinker, but I loved mm -hmm. a glass of wine, a glass of Prosecco. Same. And ever since I've been in this phase of life, I just can't do it. I can't, I can't do, do it. it. I mean, even a sip of wine and I love red wine, even a sip creates like these crazy hot flashes for me and it disrupts my sleep. And we the know sleep. that, oh, the sleep is the huge. Sleep. And we're already having, you know, we know it's the third most common symptom in this phase of life, but the sleep is in like, it's so important. And when we drink, what happens is the alcohol metabolizes. And when it metabolizes, it wakes us up during the night. So here's now another reason, another reason why alcohol forget, you know, the brain health, forget the sleep, forget everything else. Yeah. Why we really need to be mindful ladies. And I know, you know, it's one of those things. I know it's such a tough thing to get your head wrapped around, especially over the last several years. A lot of us were drinking, you know, even a little bit more. So I get it. But if you can listen to what Susan's saying, there's so many benefits to just really minimizing or avoiding it entirely. What, what does alcohol do to the skin in, in particular? It helps create a hollowing effect over time. So you're losing some of that fullness in your cheeks really? and wow. it does increase to um, increases the look of fine lines and wrinkles. So it really just, again, to your point, if you okay. haven't already seen the negative effects of alcohol, just because it does dysregulate your sleep, if you needed another reason, okay. it's going to show up on your skin over time. Right. Yeah. I so very interesting. Okay. Thank you. So also a diet that is very high in processed foods, high in carbohydrates and high in sugar also contribute to the look mm -hmm. of fine lines and wrinkles. So you really want to be managing what you are eating and try to stay away from the processed foods. And again, wrinkles happen over the course of time. You, you may wake up one day and see them for the first time, but they have been in the works for a while. So when you think about your diet, you want to think about it holistically and big picture, not necessarily, oh my gosh, I ate a bag of some junk-ish food. Right. My skin is going to be terrible tomorrow. Okay. So right. I'm not saying that like you have to give up the things that you enjoy eating, but you just want to be mindful overall of what that may be doing to your skin. And also, this is another really hard one for women, sugar. Sugar mm -hmm. is so hard on our one. skin over time. So if you have a high sugar diet, I strongly encourage you to make some different choices. Yeah. I mean, in processed sugar, again, you know, it's, it's one of those things that are not good for us overall. So no. really minimizing, trying to really focus on those whole foods. We talk about that a lot on this podcast, you know, eating whole foods, focusing on your protein, focusing on your good quality fats. I did an interview and I'll, I'll link to it below with Dr. Okay. Kate Tranahan, who talked about seed oils. So yes. even the type of fats that we're eating can affect our skin as well. And, and we'll link to that. So you can find that easily listeners and you can listen to that one as well. And it's just all of these things that accumulate over time. So like you're saying, it's not just like, I'm going to eat this candy bar. And then next thing I know, I'm going to have like a whole bunch of wrinkles on my face. Mm -hmm. It's literally, it's one of those things. And especially as we go into this phase of life, we need to be particularly, um, you know, mindful of the food, the nutrition, the beverages, all of these things that we did before. Like I, I say a lot, what worked for us before isn't necessarily going to work for us anymore. So just being mindful of that. So I'm, I'm happy that you brought it up and, and interesting how there's this whole tie into the skin as well, right? There is a whole tie into the yeah. skin. So let's now talk about some things that we know actually do help our skin from the inside out. So one of the things that I found to be interesting was the addition of linoleic acid into our diets, which is omega-6, right. but you want to be careful not to have a diet that's very heavy in omega-6 without balancing it with an omega-3. And Andrea, I believe you have a product that can help with that. 
Yeah, we have our omega-3 tea, so our fish oil. And the thing is, we get so much omega-6 from our diets, right? Yes. From the oils that we're, that, we're, that we're ingesting other ways. So it's really important. So interesting how that plays a role in our skin because I'm a big fan of omega-3s in general, our EPA, yeah. our DHA, and our omega-3 tea has that. Something that I really love for the skin is vitamin C. So not only is it fantastic applied topically, but when we ingest it as part of our diet, it can have a profound effect on how our skin looks, especially when you're including vitamin C in your diet regularly over time. Yeah, I love that. And I know vitamin C helps to produce collagen. So we should be eating it on a regular basis so we can help that plumping our skin. And you know, what's interesting is that I read a stat that as we go into perimenopause and menopause, actually specifically menopause, we lose, so we lose 1% of our collagen every single year up to the point we get into menopause. Once we're in menopause, we lose an additional 30% within the first five years. I mean, yes. that's a crazy stat. I mean, collagen is what keeps our skin together, right? It's that protein. Yes. And maybe you could explain it, you know, really well, because I'm a big fan of taking a collagen supplement, but explain what collagen is and how it affects our skin. So collagen, collagen helps support the scaffolding or the network of our skin underneath. And so when that we have that decrease in collagen in our skin, it contributes to that sagging and the drooping and that loss of firmness in our skin, especially around our cheekbones and our jawline where the skin starts looking like it's hanging. It's just part of that scaffolding. So we want to do everything that we can to help support that collagen. And so not only is it lovely when it's applied to the skin topically, but when you take collagen internally, it can make a big difference in our skin. Mm, I'm a big fan of collagen. Like you can do it in a bone broth. You can actually yes. make bone broth or buy bone broth prepared, or you could take a collagen supplement, which I'm a fan. I actually love fish collagen and I love beef collagen and I take it daily. And collagen is also great for our bones as it's well. It's great for your so, bones. Yes. So and I'm a big fan. So, and so I've heard a lot about like collagen topically, like you were saying, like, does it actually work when you put a product like, that has collagen on your skin to help with those fine lines and wrinkles? It does. If it has collagen peptides in it, it is going to make a difference to your skin. So I strongly recommend products that have a collagen peptide. Okay. And when you're looking for products, it will say it on it. Like obviously it'll say contains collagen peptides or what I also heard the term copper peptides. Is that, that was something copper that was peptides. Really yes. It's a newer ingredient. And so we are seeing that in some products and for some people, they find a really great benefit from the copper peptides. So if you're looking for something new, if you're a skincare junkie and you like all the latest and greatest things, go ahead and try it. Sure. Okay. Interesting. Okay. I like that. All right. Continue yeah. on. What else is good for our skin? I was surprised by this, but we all are familiar with hyaluronic acid mm -hmm. as serums that we put on our skin. But I recently learned that taking that orally also can help our skin from the inside out. Very cool. Yeah, there, there are supplements that even have supplements with HA and yes. collagen together that you could take it. So have you tried it? Have you tried? I haven't it? tried those yet, but it's on my list of things to do. Okay. It sounds so, like a fantastic thing. So you're obviously you know, like you were saying, you're a master formulator when it comes to skincare products. I mean, that's what you love to do. Yes. So you're starting a company, it's called Fosis, and mm -hmm. your products aren't available yet, but I'm going to have you back when they're, when they're on and I can't wait to try them. So talk a little bit about what, you know, what are the ingredients that you're looking at? What, what is that, you know, cause I know you're very much based on science. So what yes. are those ingredients when we're looking for products? I mean, I know for me, like I'm always looking for a good skincare that's going to actually make, I, I'm very, you know, I wasn't until I would say until my forties, I never really took care of my skin. I always had, I was always blessed. I always didn't have, I didn't have a lot of acne. I always had genetically, I was blessed with nice skin, but as I got into my forties, I mean, things started to change big time. And now I am so particular with my skincare. I've got my morning routine. I've got my evening routine. I started doing like facial stretching and yoga recently. I'm like, so tell us a little bit about what, you know, what goes, what should go in to our daily routine when it comes to taking care of our skin? Well, I think you want to be clear about what symptom you are trying to address and then choose an ingredient that targets that directly. So some ingredients okay. have crossover use and help with both maybe hyperpigmentation and fine lines and wrinkles. But I think that you want to be clear about what it is that you're trying to shift about your skin and then choose wisely from there. So when we look at hyperpigmentation, and that typically is those darker spots that start showing up on our skin, usually in our 40s or our 50s, that's known as hyperpigmentation. And one of the greatest ingredients that has been proven time and time and again is vitamin C. So again, we talked about it, taking it orally. It's great when we put it on our skin for managing that hyperpigmentation. Use correctly over time. It can fade those dark spots. So 
because I, I see I have one on my on my face like right over here and I know I have to like I know I'm not the best with my daily sunscreen and well you know I just I have to get better at it but I could see like I'm definitely getting some some brown marks here so is it just taking it and putting it directly on it like is it because I know there's a there are a bunch of skincare out there that is like fading it helps and I've tried them but they didn't really work for me but like niacinamide I think was one niacinamide is another one so okay um one of the things that people don't know, and I learned this through formulation school, is that if the ingredient is not included at the recommended percentage level from the manufacturer, you are not going to get positive results. And there is nothing in the skincare industry that requires companies to put that ingredient in at recommended dosages. So mm. obviously the more of that active ingredient, the more expensive it costs the manufacturer to make that product. Right. So sometimes you have it, it's known as a market claim. So you can say, yes, it's a niacinamide serum, and you can look on the back of the ingredients and you may see niacinamide in there. It may be so far down on the ingredient list that not enough is included for it to have any impact on your skin. So it sounds like supplements. It's like, it's so exactly like supplements. Like, yes. wait a minute, it sounds like, okay. Very interesting. It is, it's, it is like supplements, but niacinamide vitamin B3 has been proven also to okay. fade um, dark spots. One of the things to your question about fading things and whether to put it topically or over your whole face is that if there's a tyrannase inhibitor included in the ingredient list, then that helps prevent new dark spots from forming when used consistently over time. So ingredients like vitamin C and niacinamide, when used collect correctly, when they're in the right amounts in the ingredients, fade dark spots and help prevent new ones from forming. So you said, so what was the ingredient? You said tyrosine. Is that what you said? The a a tyrannase inhibitor, I believe is what it's called. Tyranase, tyranase inhibitor. Ty okay. Tyranase inhibitor. So yes. you want to look for one that has both. Is that it? So like, I if guess, you, that's like, you know, it, obviously skincare is not my expertise, but you know, knowing what we put on our body and all that. Yes. But like actual like formulation and what we should use definitely out of my lane. So I really want to understand for myself as well as a consumer, for everyone who's listening, is like, okay, so how do we know how to pick these? Like, how do we know how to pick the best products that are going to work? Like, I didn't realize that there is no, I guess, like companies can put in whatever they want in their skincare and doesn't necessarily have to have the certain dosage that works. So how do we know that we're getting good products, I guess, is my question. I would go with companies that have run their own clinical trials, third-party clinical trials with before and after pictures. So okay. you can see the change on women's skin from using okay. the products. Okay. Yeah, I think that's just one of the best ways, you know, I mean, if people can get away with selling something that doesn't work and they're still making money, people can do that. I mean, unfortunately, skincare, like many other things is a business and people are preying on women's fear about looking older, but that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that the products actually have to work. So I also recommend talk to your friends, see what other people are using. Do they like their products? Have they seen changes on their face and go from recommendations like that? But yeah, I was shocked to find out that. Some of the products that I had been using that weren't working when I learned to read ingredient lists and realize how far down on the list that ingredient was, and it wasn't doing anything. It just was really disappointing. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, you want things to work, especially, you know, as we're aging, we want our skin to have, you know, to, we wanted to plump it up. We wanted to hydrate it. We wanted to, you know, exfoliate whatever it is, like, or get rid of those fine lines of the, um, the hyperpigmentation, hyperpigmentation, whatever it is you want, you want it to work. Right. So that right? is the key and especially budgets are involved. Right. So like, for example, you can go and get all these things done through, yes. um, you know, technology, but it's, it's a lot of money, right? It's so a I lot of money. It's a lot it's of money. A I was looking today at, at a facial and this, there was one facial that can help with fine lines and wrinkles. It was like $350. And I'm like, for one facial. And I'm like, that's one. a lot of money. So if there's ways we could do it with products that actually can work, then that's good. It's good. And when you're approaching products and how they work, I really encourage women to think about slow beauty, that you don't want to use a product for a week and become disappointed that you haven't seen a mm. shift. Most companies that do run clinical trials, those trials are lasting 60 days, 90 days, and that is consistent use morning and evening to see results in the product. So keep in mind that whatever the spots, the fine lines and wrinkles, they didn't take two weeks to show up. It's accumulation of time and lifestyle choices. So you really want to give the products more time to work. And I would say, especially when it comes to clean beauty, like products that 
have less synthetic ingredients, sometimes those products take even longer to work, but they're better for our bodies and better for our skin, I think, from my perspective. So give the products time to work before wondering why is it not working? Why am I not seeing changes? I say that all the time, especially with supplements. I mean, supplements, not a medication, right? So it's a very similar thing. So it's going to take time to work. You need to give it 30, 60, 90 days. Well, 30 days isn't even enough in most cases, but like 60, 90 days, if even like maybe, you know, whatever it is, it could take time to actually start working in the body, but they do work. And so I say that all the time, even about our Morpheus products, right? Like some will work right away. And then some of them will take time. Like our sleep us takes time to build up in the system. So I I love that you said that. And it even applies to beauty care products. And one of the things you said, and I do, I don't want to forget to, to talk about this. And cause I think it's such an important thing. Clean beauty. You said a buzz. Clean beauty, clean beauty. Your skin is your largest organ. I think people don't even think that your skin is an organ. It is separating the outside world pollutants from your inside world. And I think that what we put on our skin absolutely does matter. It was something that I was interested in learning more about moving into perimenopause, knowing that there were possible endocrine disruptors in skincare and not wanting to throw my system into any more havoc than I was already experiencing from that hormonal point of view. And so I decided just to be very clean about my skincare and also from a formulation standpoint, be very meticulous and detailed about the ingredients that I would be willing to consider in the products and be just adamant about things that we would not consider for any reason. So that included fragrances, synthetic fragrances, synthetic preservation systems, phthalates. There is just a long list of stuff that I was not willing to continue putting on my body any longer. Okay. I love that you said this. This has been my life's work for the past 23 years in terms of looking at chemicals and what we're putting in and on our body. Can we, I'd love to delve into this. Are you sure. comfortable to delve into this a little bit? As much of, as I can. Yeah. Okay, great. All right. So as you know, when you mentioned phthalates, you mentioned parabens, why is it important that when we're buying these skincare products that we avoid products that have these ingredients in it? So from my perspective, I don't think we have the full picture on how phthalates and parabens are working in our body. And we know that already in our environment, there's a high level of xenoestrogens that we are exposed to on a daily basis. And so as our estrogen levels are fluctuating in our body and our bodies are trying to figure out our new levels of what our estrogen levels are gonna be moving through perimenopause into menopause, I didn't wanna be adding outside estrogen-like ingredients to my skin. I thought that my body had enough to challenge or enough to deal with moving through this hormonal shift. And so to me, it was important not to be adding to that load. So explain what xenoestrogens are, because I'm not sure uh, for our listeners, if they understand what it is. And I'm, I'm, you know, if you're not comfortable, I'm happy to explain it as well, but explain. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead and explain it. I think you can probably explain it better than I can. So xenoestrogens are basically chemicals that mimic estrogen in the body. And these are chemicals that have been linked to, for example, parabens. We know they've been linked to things like cancer. So we really want to avoid them because A, I mean, at all times, that's why clean beauty is so big. You look at Sephora. I remember years ago, they hardly had any clean beauty products. And now they're like, you know, they're all over the place in Sephora and you could find it a lot. Now, the word clean beauty, whether you agree with it or not, I mean, it's, they're, they're looking for better for you beauty products that don't contain these harsh chemicals. Are you familiar, Susan? I know that in Europe versus North America, there are so many more ingredients that are allowed in North America in our beauty products than they are in Europe. Are you familiar with the number? Because I remember it's like like a huge discrepancy in terms it's of what a that huge, is. It's a huge discrepancy. I'm not familiar with the exact number, but if you formulate to meet the EU regulations, those are the tightest, strictest regulations anywhere in the world. So the products that I'm working on meet EU regulations because it's important to me to make sure that we are offering the safest possible product for women and also that it can be the most efficacious. But it is almost like the wild, wild west in the United States in terms of ingredients that are allowed at this point. And it is going to be changing. The FDA has come up with new federal regulations that go into into effect at the end of 2023. But it's astounding at the amount of ingredients that are used in the U.S. that are absolutely banned overseas. And I think we should all look to those EU guidelines as a as a way to understand what we should be putting on our skin. Yeah. And I'm going to do the research and I'll put it below. I, I forget what that number is, but it's a huge number. It's a huge and number. It's astounding. 
And then you ask yourself, like, how how come, right? Like, how are we allowed all of these? And that's why it's so important. And and ladies, like, you know how I'm a big advocate for empowering yourself, whether it comes to your food, whether it comes to your beauty care products, what your health, your blood test, whatever it is. Just doing your own research is really important and um, you really understand. And I actually have a, a friend, her, her name is Amy Ziff. She runs Made Safe. And I'm going to ask her to come on the podcast because we can delve even a little bit deeper into what these chemicals are. So thank you, Susan, for, um, yes. for even bringing that up, because I think it's an important topic that we, we talk about as we go into this phase of life. We're more prone to so many more things as we go into perimenopause and menopause. So understanding what we put in and on our body, like our skin is our largest organ and, and we absorb 60% of what we put on our body. Right. So we might think, Oh, it's okay. I'm not ingesting it. You're actually, you're, you're absorbing it. You're actually you're absorbing, absorbing it. it. And I think women just don't think about that because we're not taught to understand that that mm-hmm. is how our skin functions. So you do want to be very careful about what you're putting on your skin. And again, just like the food, it's not that if you use a product that has a paraben in it once or twice. Like if you're on vacation and you're at a hotel and there's a lovely smelling lotion that you put on your legs, that everything is going to fall apart. But when you think about putting a lotion anywhere on your body once or twice a day over 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, what's the toxic load, accumulative buildup of that? So for me, that was something that I was thinking about when I was creating formulas and making sure that I wasn't using ingredients that were going to contribute to that toxic load, those known ingredients that can lead to cancer. What are some of those ingredients? I mean, we talked about phthalates. The parabens. What are some other ingredients that you're like, absolutely not, this will not be in any uh, any of our FOSIS products? Fragrances and synthetic fragrances were also things that I absolutely was not going to have that in any of my ingredients. One, because I found that I just was becoming more and more allergic to fragrances. And then the other thing that we decided to work and not use are essential oils. And people were really surprised by that, but they're like, oh, they're natural. They're essential oils. And it took going through aromatherapy school to understand how are essential oils made? How are they stored? How are they put on to skin? How are they absorbed and how are they affected? So not only are there dermal limits associated with essential oils that you can only put so much of a sense or of essential oil on your skin, but that they have to be at specific concentrations or they're more likely to cause an allergic reaction. Right, on your skin. That's why they on say- your skin. Order, yeah, like be careful when you're putting essential oils, not, not putting it directly on your skin. Please do not put essential yeah, oils irritation. directly on your skin. But the other thing that I found interesting about essential oils is that they have a shelf life. They have an expiration date. And oh, in the industry, they are sometimes cut with synthetics and those synthetic ingredients are undetectable to the human nose. So unless you're going through third-party testing to see if that essential oil is absolutely fresh and pure and unadulterated, you may not know what's showing up in your skincare. And so as those essential oils expire over time, that can cause redness, it can cause rash. And by the time that essential oil, you know, it's harvested and then it's sold to a contract manufacturer, and then maybe they sit on it for a year or so before it gets put into a skincare product. And then maybe that skincare product has a two-year shelf life. By the time you get it, that essential oil may already be expired. There just is no way to track that in skincare. And so I thought I'm not going to put my women at risk for another allergic reaction. There's already so much that I personally am sensitive to. And so it was important to me to not include those as well. And you know, what's interesting is I find as I, you know, I went into menopause and perimenopause and everything, our kind of our hormones are all over the place. I became so, and so many of us have become so much more sensitive to smell. Yes. So, and it, that's related to our adrenals yes. and our, you know, our adrenals being fatigued, like being tired. So I think that having a you know, no fragrance in skincare is a good thing. And that's, I, I bought, I'm not a big fan of fragrance in my skincare anymore. I mean, it, it has to be super, super, super light, but yeah, no, I, I actually think that going, you know, fragrance-free is amazing. I, I want to ask you a question about labeling mm-hmm. because you were saying, so you're saying that things can go undetected because I'm very familiar with labeling in food and labeling in supplements. What are labeling requirements in skincare? So they don't have, do companies not have to disclose everything that's in there? Is that something that's voluntary? Tell us a little bit about that. You do have to disclose what is in your skincare. And when you read the back of a label, the just like when you read a food label, the ingredient that's in there the most should be the first 
item and then the ingredient that's in there in the lease should be the last item. The federal government has not changed skincare guidelines since the 1930s. So oh the guidelines God. are way Crazy. out of date, but like I said, they are changing them at the end of this year. So we yeah. are going to see some new and better regulations coming into the skincare industry, which from my perspective is long overdue and really exciting. But learning to understand what's on the labels is really important. So yes, every skincare company must disclose what is in there and in the order that it is in. So you cannot have hidden ingredients. You can't have pr proprietary blends and not disclose what is in that blend. So if you are looking at a skincare company and that those ingredient lists are not on the bottle or on the box, I would say that that company might be trying to hide something from you. So you are looking for a company that is showing full transparency. I remember learning years ago that, and this goes for food as well, when we wrote on Drunk or Junk Food, that under the word, well, this is different for, for skincare, under the word fragrance, that was under the word artificial flavoring, or, but <laughs> under the word fragrance, it can actually contain you know hundreds of different chemicals, yes. including phthalates, but that those don't have to be written on the label. Like it's so... It's so like confusing and it's overwhelming, you know, like, so it's, yeah. Tell us That's the same that. for skincare. Unfortunately, yeah. you just have to say fragrance and what that fragrance is exactly does not have to be disclosed. And so yeah. that was another reason for me, just absolutely no fragrance because there was too many things in there that I just didn't want uh, in my skincare. Okay. Uh, Third-party testing. You mentioned that as well. So I, I didn't even realize, this is something interesting. I didn't even realize it, that companies can get products third-party tested. So let's talk a little bit about that. I'm actually going to do an entire podcast about third-party la labeling in supplements. I just came back from Wisconsin and test and just met with our partner um, on third-party testing for supplements. But how does that work for skincare? So third-party testing for skincare, first of all, many companies don't do it because it's quite expensive. And most people don't have the capital investment to invest in those kinds of tests. But there are a lot of different kinds of third-party testing that you can do just to make sure that your products are safe and that they actually work as they are designed and can meet product claims. So one kind of third-party testing would be a clinical trial with actual human volunteers. And so that is something that my company is undertaking to make sure that we have before and after pictures and we can Amazing. prove these products work. Maybe. Because how do we know without before and after pictures that the products are efficacious? Sometimes we don't know. But in addition to the third party, uh, in addition to clinical trials where you're using actual live people to test the products and get feedback on the products, there's also HRIP testing, human repeat insult patch test. And so that is a really good test to have done to make sure that the products are not irritating to skin. And then there are also tests that are for ocular testing. These unfortunately used to be done on rabbits and they no longer are performed that way. HETCAM is one of those options just to make sure that if you did by chance get the product in your eye, right? If you're putting moisturizer on your face and maybe right. a little bit gets in the corner of your eye, that you're not going to have an allergic reaction, that they're safe for the eye. So these are all further tests that we are pursuing on our end just to make sure that our products are safe. We're also looking at tests that help improve barrier function. Are we strengthening the barrier function, which is a really important part of skincare from my perspective? What does that and mean? I'll, Maybe you can explain what that I means. Would love, I would love, I am so passionate about barrier <laughs> function. I think it's this little known aspect of skincare that people are not talking about. So barrier function is really the strength of your skin. And when you have impaired barrier function during the day, your water, your, your face is more likely to evaporate water from the surface of your skin, which okay. leads to dryness. So we already have a lot of problems and issues with dryness in perimenopause and menopause. Yep. And the drier your skin is, the more it looks, it increases the look of fine lines and wrinkles. So dry skin is just not healthy skin. So your skin's ability to have a strong barrier function, it's just stronger skin. It helps your skin look better. So what are the things that help decrease barrier function? One of them is over cleansing. So I know when I was growing up that the more I stripped my skin, the more I scrubbed my skin, if my face felt tight after I washed it, that made me feel like I had really done a good job cleaning. Yeah. That is not the case at this okay. stage of life. We really want gentle cleansers that are no longer stripping our skins. So if That's you've been over cleansing, I know. Totally and if you changing your mindset here, right? Totally like changing your mindset. If you have been double cleansing, 
please stop. Like this is not the age for double cleansing. Our skin is losing moisture all the time. Do not strip your skin any more than you need to. I'm a big fan of oil cleansers and very, I was just very say, what should we be cleansers. using for the, for the, for the cleansers, like an oil cleanser, of, an oil cleanser, an oil cleanser. Those are by far my hands down favorite cleansers for helping to preserve barrier function and not okay. contribute to that. But think about if you'd been washing your face for 20 years and it, you had been using it, a harsh surfactant or a, a soap that is helping to strip the skin. Yes, it's going to clean all the dirt and makeup off your face. And it's also going to be taking off those beneficial oils, oils. that we want. So right. you want to be very careful about how you're cleansing. And I think you don't always have to wash your face twice a day. This was another misnomer to me that I thought that like I had to get up and wash my face every morning. I don't anymore. I only wash it in the evening. I want to make sure I'm removing all the makeup and any pollutants that I've come into contact with during the day. But in the morning, you know, unless I've had like a major hot flash, you know, where I've been sweating in the morning, I generally just use toner where I spritz it on my face and wipe it off with a cotton round. Interesting. So not cleansing it again, just using a washcloth, using toner. Because so that that was my question is because I we've got this night routine. So do yeah. we want to remove all of the creams? Because at night, again, for the little that I know, as a night we're using a heavier cream on our face at night and a lighter one in the morning. We want to remove that from our face before we apply the new our morning, like before we apply our new cleanse our new uh, creams in the morning. Is that it? That it that is it for sure. Okay. I think. Now, some people, their skin is so dry, the remnants of that heavier night cream are completely gone by morning. But if it makes you feel better, maybe even just splash some cold water on your face or gently pat it with a warm, not hot washcloth, please. Please do not wash your face with hot water, warm water only, then that can be fine in the morning. I like to have, I would think of, I think of it as a fresh palette in the morning. So I apply different serums in the morning than I do in the evenings. And so I like to do that by just having you know, either toner to, um, cleanse my face in the morning or water, but you don't need to wash your skin in the morning. Also. How come not hot water? Is it just that it dries it out more? Uh, hot water dries your skin out more. Mm-hmm. Mm. So for all of you that love those really hot showers and I confess, I am that person. I get so cold that I love these hot showers. It's really harsh on your skin. Mm, interesting. And in your body, because so many of us too, with um, our dry skin on our body and yes. our dry, like just dryness everywhere, itchy ears, like all of that. Yes. So, you know, it's, it's, it's important, you know, to, to really think it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about this. So thank you for sharing yeah. that. So ladies, warm, not hot water when you're showering. Or if you have to have some hot water, like just Keep it short, short right? Exactly. <laughs> like, keep it short. Don't don't take a twenty minute scalding hot shower. It is okay. just. I mean, if you're concerned about your skin health, it's just not going to be great for your skin. I have another question. So when sure. we get out of the shower, I remember my sister in law years ago told me never to wipe my face, never to dry my face. Let the water evaporate on its own, and take your hyaluronic acid and put it with the water that's still on your face and rub it in. Is that what we should be doing to get that hydration? But also like. What's, what are the steps? Like there are so many products, like here's a serum, here's an oil, here's a cream. Here's a, like, what, like, what do we really need in order to see that difference so that we can see our skin looking beautiful and, you know, and, and vibrant. Well, let me say I was absolutely lost because like you in my thirties, I really did not pay a lot of attention to my skin. And so I really had to take the time to learn about this. Your sister-in-law was ahead of her time. So yes, when you get out of the shower, you do not need to dry your skin, especially on your face. You want damp skin for applying your hyaluronic acids. They work so much better on damp skin over a dry skin. Now, if you're one of those people that just has to dry your skin, please pat it dry with a clean towel only. Do not vigorously scrub it. And please do not be using your three-day-old bath towel that you've been using on the rest of your body. You really want to make sure that you're using a clean towel Mm, to if you have to pat your dry skin. So if you got out of the shower and you patted your dry skin and you think, oh, wait, I need damp skin, for my hyaluronic acid. If you have an alcohol-free toner, that's another great product that you can use, especially if it comes in a mist. You can close your eyes, you can mist your face three or four or five times, 
and have that dampness on your skin and then apply the hyaluronic acid over that. And the reason that the hyaluronic acid works better over damp skin is that that ingredient is going to pull moisture from the air and pull it into our skin. And that's what causes that plumping effect that we are so excited to have, especially if you live in a very dry climate with low humidity, there is no place for that hyaluronic acid to pull moisture from the air. So right. it's just best that if you have, you dampen your skin and then apply the hyaluronic acid over it, the product works so much better. If you've been using it on dry skin, I strongly urge you try it on damp skin and be amazed at the results. Yeah, no, I definitely feel a difference. Like, and also I, again, going back to the fish oil, like that's really amazing for skin. It keeps your skin hydrated from the inside out. Yeah. So between that and between my skincare routine, I find my skin is awesome. Like I don't even like, yeah, the dryness is just, I used to get when I was younger, I would get a lot of dry skin. I would say it was mm -hmm. more on the dry side and now um, being diligent makes a really big difference. Okay. So we apply the hyaluronic acid. We get out of the shower. We don't wipe our face. We apply the hyaluronic acid. What goes on next? So I do a step back. I generally prefer to use a toner before I use my hyaluronic oh, acid. So you can use both. The toner you can use and you can use both. Yes. And again, if it's okay. an alcohol-free toner, you can use the toner as the dampness for the hyaluronic acid. And one of the reasons that I like toner is that it's another opportunity to add active botanicals to our skin and add skin soothing ingredients. So that my only okay. caveat is not a toner that is high in alcohol products because those are very drying to your skin, yeah. but it is okay, possible to find toners that really are just another layer for adding beneficial ingredients to our skin. So I get out of the shower. I use a toner generally because I do an oil cleanse, which is a less aggressive kind of cleanse. I use a toner and then wipe a cotton round over my face to make sure that I've cleared all the residue of the makeup of the day. So then my skin is dry and then I will actually put the toner back on and put the hyaluronic acid serums on after that, if that's the part, whether I'm morning or evening after the serums, then I go through moisturizer. So it depends whether it's evening, I'm going to use a heavier moisturizer in the morning. I'm going to use a little bit of a lighter one and in the morning. Oh, go ahead. So I was gonna say, so do you re-wet your face to apply mm -hmm. the hyaluronic acid? Like I just, I I, I'm asking, like, you do? Okay, I so do. you have like a spray bottle or something. Mm -hmm. So you spray that you do the toner and then I didn't, you know, it's funny. I always thought toner was for after you wash your face to clean the skin. Like I didn't really realize that it can actually help with hydration as well. It depends upon the toner, but let's yeah, so backtrack for a moment because, okay. and this is what I found so fascinating, a traditional cleanser, as it strips your skin, it's also going to disrupt the pH of your skin. And it, skin that has disrupted pH also leads to impaired barrier function. And so the skincare industry came up with these toners that are pH balanced to help reset the pH of your skin. And I thought, this is nuts. Why are we using products that are so disruptive to our skin right. that we have to use another product to fix what that first product did? So that was the other reason that I switched to an oil cleanse. So the, I'm using toner in a much different way than the way most people use a yeah, traditional toner. So yeah, yes, typically a toner was to help fix the, the damage that the cleanser did. Damage is probably too strong of a word. So I use that lightly here, okay. but toner was traditionally for that purpose. But nowadays we're seeing newer toners come onto the market where it's just another level where we can add some of those beautiful ingredients that are soothing and calming and improve barrier function to our skin. You can also use toners as a way to add probiotics to our skin, which help the skin microflora. And we know that that helps the health of the skin overall too. Amazing. Are you going to have probiotics in your toner? Like, are you going to have the I do. Your you do I do. Oh, I do have a, a yeah. I'm so I'm really, I'm really excited about it. So okay. anyways, so to I use toner not to reset the pH of my skin, but because it's another opportunity to put some fabulous ingredients that are beneficial to the skin on. Okay. And then I'll use my serum. So I have both brightening serums that help with the fine or help with the hyperpigmentation, but I also have serums that deal with the fine lines and wrinkles. And then I'm going to use a moisturizer over that. Skincare does not have to be deeply complicated. You do not need a 12-step regimen every night to achieve beautiful, radiant skin. Yeah. I think that that is a fallacy that we've been told that unless we have an enormous amounts of money and time, we absolutely cannot have beautiful skin. And that is just no longer true. We can see multi-use products. And they certainly are coming onto the market more frequently where we can use one product for more than one thing and they have mutual benefit. I think that's great because we have to take budget into account as well, yes. right? 
And Absolutely. one of the things that I that I learned also a long time ago from a friend of mine, and she's from Colombia, and she was saying that, and she said that she learned from her country is that before you go to sleep, so you're putting everything on your face, but also not to forget your neck, your decollete, <gasps> yeah. your chest, and your yes. hands. So she was telling me that every night I put on um a high like an antioxidant oil and I mix it with my moisturizer right. and I put it on my hands and I put it on my you know I put it everywhere else too. So I learned that from her. So I think that that's a cool trip, a cool tip as well. It's a cool tip. Please, please, please be putting all of those same products that you put on your face, put it on your neck and put it on the decollete. These are areas that age yeah. very quickly. And if you are spending all this time and energy on your face and neglecting this lower part, it's going to show up eventually. I think also one of the things that I do is that I will put a vitamin C serum or a retinol type serum that deals with fine lines and wrinkles. I put it on the backs of my hands at night before I go to sleep. Yep. So if I've put it on my face, I just rub the backs of my hands together and let that sit there through the night because I find that those spots just really love to show up on my hands. Yeah. That's why I find that it keeps it away. And then I've also been adding recently castor oil as my, yeah. like, as my, was that okay too, to be putting castor oil on our face and our chest and our hands? It, you I may it not my cuticles actually. Yeah, it's great on cuticles. Some okay. women may experience that it's a little bit too heavy for their face. So okay. it may not be a great option for everyone. It kind of depends upon your ethnicity and how dry your skin is. But if you are finding that it's working really well, go for it. But you did mention that you put your antioxidant oil and you mix it with your moisturizer and then you put all of that on I there. Do. That is not the best way to use that. You oh, really want to okay. do the moisturizer first okay. and let that soak in for maybe five or so minutes. Add your oil over that because those oils okay. are occlusives and they help lock in that moisture. Okay. And if you are putting them together, you're diluting it. So it's okay. not going to have quite the same effect. So I would, I would strongly encourage moisturizer first, let it soak in oil okay. afterwards. So should we be waiting? Like, like even when we put on the hyaluronic acid, I'll sometimes I'll fan my face, just try to get it to dry. We should, we be waiting for it to dry like every single stage before you apply the next one. I do Is that the right way to do it. Okay. I do. And it, it, it might just be, you know, I walk into the other room and do something there and come back. So I'm not waiting 10 minutes between yeah. every single time. step. Yeah. I don't have time and I'm sure no yeah. one else does either, but yeah. I do wait for the products to absorb. And I also want to caution women about using too many products at once. Yes. So if you are using a hyaluronic acid serum and you're using a retinol for fine lines and wrinkles, and you're also exfoliating and you've got three different types of moisturizers, and then you're trying to seal it all in with the face oil, it just may be too much for your skin. Like our skin is gentle. We want to nurture and support it. So it is possible to be overproducting our skin or putting too many things on in our hopes that we're going to, you know, chase down this youthful skin of our teenage years. You know, it's interesting because we didn't talk about retinol. I don't use a retinol. And just because it just from a standpoint of toxicity, I remember reading on the environmental working groups mm -hmm. website that it's like, it's scored really high and not being good for us, but there's natural Bakuchi or Bakuchiol, which is a natural retinol. Is that something that you're going to have in your line as well? And does it work yes. just as well? It, the Bakuchiol does work just as well. There are some clinical studies out on it. So it's a superstar ingredient. I'm so excited about it. I have been using it on my own skin and I'm really okay. pleased with the results of it so far. The one, the main benefit of the Bakuchiol is that one, it is not photosensitive. So for those women that are using Retin-A and you find that you sun burn more easily. You have to yeah. up your SPF. Not that you should be not wearing SPF anyways. Please, everyone wear SPF on your skin I every day. Better at that. <laughs> we all need to get better at it, but it does have a big impact over time. Yeah. But the retin-A's can be very challenging to the skin. They can cause redness. They can cause irritation. They can cause drying. They can cause Peeling. flakiness. I, know they, I tried it, I think once and it like peeled. Right? I peeled. The all doesn't do that. The Bakuchiol doesn't do that. I did the yeah. same thing. I tried the Retin-A because yeah. it's supposedly this miracle ingredient. And if you are one of those women that's using Retin-A and you're having great results with it, I'm not here to tell you to stop using it. Yeah. But I am letting other women know that if you have tried Retin-A and you're looking for something different or something a little bit more plant-based, Bakuchiol is absolutely an option. And there are also new ingredients that are microalgae based that are also having phenomenal results from a 
that mimic retin-A, the effects of retin-A. So those are some ingredients that I'm doing research on and I'll have some more information soon, but okay, good. I I will say I'm using them on my own skin. If that's any indication. You're doing your N of one. I like it. That's what I'm doing. doing You're doing your N of one. I like it. And, um, which I think, which I think is important, right? Because yes. I don't want you to recommend products that you're not using yourself. Same thing for me. Like I would only recommend things that I believe in and right. recommend to like family, friend, like exactly. So you have to be doing that. Actually, so we're talking so much, like we talked about, you know, what we do to get out of the shower. We talked about retinol, retinol A, but one of the things I also learned is that when we're young, our skin naturally exfoliates, but as we get older, we have to do it for it. So talk about exfoliation. What should we be using? How often should we be doing it? Like, this is something that I I know is super important. And should it be to the point where our face is peeling? Like, how do we know that it's working? That's what I want to (laughs) know. No. Well, first let's clarify the difference between a mechanical exfoliant and a chemical exfoliant. So a mechanical exfoliant, that is where you have a product. Generally it's a gel or a cream and there's grit in it, right? So when you put it on your face or on your body, you can feel some texture and that it is sloughing off rough skin. So that can be really great unless you have very sensitive skin. So if you have sensitive skin, you do not necessarily want to be using a mechanical exfoliant. And also you want to be careful of mechanical exfoliants that have jagged edges. So for some reason, crushed nutshells can be used as mechanical exfoliants. They used over time can cause to mic, they can lead to micro tears in your skin. So yeah. that's not going to be helping that barrier function that we talked about earlier. I much prefer something with a jojoba bead, which is a softer, it's a fully round exfoliant. And one, they don't harm the environment like the micro beads, but two, at this stage in our life, we are really looking for a product that more is polishing our skin than is something that is so aggressive that it is you know, taking off that outer layer of skin. Okay. So that's a good I'm, point. Cause I always thought like you needed to have like, cause I, I use a very gentle exfoliator because actually when I was using it in the past, what happened was, is it also created little veins around my, my nose. So we have to be so gentle. Please oh, be so gosh. careful. Your skin is thinning as you yes. age. And so you just don't want to be aggressive with it. So I only exfoliate yeah. maybe once a week. Okay. Maybe every other week. It's not something that I'm doing on my skin day in and day out. If you have sensitive skin, you can also use what are known as chemical exfoliants. So those are the AHAs and the BHAs. So examples of AHAs, alpha hydroxy acids, are glycolic acid and lactic acid. Lactic yeah. acid is a little bit more gentle on the skin than the glycolic acid. So if you're not sure where to start, I would look for a serum that has lactic acid. But interestingly enough, when my teenage daughter was younger, she and I would take Greek style yogurt, which is high in lactic acid. We would mix it with honey and we would put it on our face and let it sit for 15 or 20 minutes. So it didn't necessarily smell great, but when used consistently, it made a difference in our skin. I was really surprised to see something like that. So there are simple ways to achieve some gentle exfoliation. If you don't want to use the lactic acid or you feel like you skin can handle something a little bit more, you can look for glycolic acid. And so sometimes you can see those in peels or in serums. I would caution against using a cleanser that is listed as an exfoliating cleanser with like alpha hydroxy acids because we, when we cleanse our skin, that cleanser is not on our skin very long, right? We put it on, we rinse it off. The way those products work is when they have time to be absorbed into the skin. So if you're using a cleanser and it doesn't have a mechanical exfoliant in it, and it, you know, it says like AHA, you know, cleanser, just know that it probably is not going to have the same effect as a serum that has lactic acid or glycolic acid. So my daughter would took, my daughter loves skincare. So she took me with her. We, we love going to Sephora together and looking at all the different things. And she had said, I guess the woman that we spoke to said, I need a glycolic acid for my, my aging skin, but, and I use it, I think it's like three times a week maybe, but I don't really know what I'm supposed to notice. Like, what am I supposed to notice by using it? You are supposed to notice an increase in cellular turnover, which leads to a diminishment, diminishment of fine lines and wrinkles. So it sometimes is also sold as a, a treatment for creating a newness in the skin, a brightness in the skin, but your, your skin should look more refreshed would be okay. a good way to say it. Um, not so dull. 
So okay. if it's still looking dull, I would increase it to five times a week and see if that, see that is helps. doing it. Or you maybe need a stronger concentration if your skin can handle it, but you so want to start low. What does that mean? Dull skin? Explain what that means. Cause I know that it starts to happen as we go into menopause, but what does that mean exactly? Dull skin means that your skin has lost that radiance that you see. Like when you look at teenager skin, I also have a teenage daughter and her skin just, it's like it glows from the inside, mm. even without her doing anything to her skin. It's just beautiful and radiant. And as we age, the cellular turnover rate decreases. And so we get more of a buildup of that dull skin on the surface of our faces. And that leads to a look of just dull, dry skin where it just loses that sense of vibrancy. And so that is something that is really That's important amazing. to me because it doesn't, just because we're aging, it doesn't mean we can't still have radiant skin. Yeah. And you can get that radiant skin even from the skincare products you're using, yes. right? Like, yeah, that can help. What yeah. are your thoughts on facials or doing other things like we, whether it's a DIY facial at home or going to get facials done? I love facials. I think that if it's not in your budget, you should be looking up DIY facials because I also think it's time to nurture yourself. If you have been one of those women that has not been putting yourself first all this time because you've been taking care of everybody else, perimenopause and menopause is the perfect time to really say, you know what? I am worth it. And I'm going to take the time and do this for myself. So even just smearing like mashed avocado on your face is wonderful for it. You don't have to spend a lot of time and energy and money. Now, if it is in your budget and you have time to go and get a facial and you have an esthetician that you like and that you trust and that is knowledgeable, absolutely. I think that that can have benefits into our skin, especially as we're aging, because they have access to um, stronger ingredients and different tools that we don't have access to at home that I do think can make a big difference in the overall look of skin. I try, so I have all these DIY face masks, like DIY things that you put on your face at home mm -hmm. or under your eyes. I never do them. And I'm like, it's like, I never find time between putting my 12 year old to bed and like, getting <laughs> organized in basketball. Like, I'm like, I really need to find that time to do like that self-care. It's when I travel. That's when I'm able to like sit down and read a book and do that. But I do think it's a, it's a, it's a great thing to do because, and do, and do, do you like them? Like, you know, you can buy like the mask that you put over your face and you sit there for 15 or 20 minutes. Do you find that they are actually helpful? I think it depends upon the brand and what the ingredients okay. are. I've tried a lot of them and they just haven't worked. So I actually okay. found on Amazon where you can buy the face sheets dry. They come in these little tablets that are just so adorable. Oh, and so okay. I will take my own serums and put them in a small bowl and soak the mask in the serum oh. and then apply that to my face. So I just get a heavy dose of the serum. That is cool. I didn't know mm -hmm. that you could do that. I'm learning so much today. I love this. So that's very cool. So you can buy, you know what, if you could give us the link, I'll put it below and then sure. people can check that out. So can you use it with food as well? Like, like you said, the mashed up, like what, well, maybe avocado is a little too thick, but I know like there's like, some great masks you can make with honey and you can put like different ingredients. Can you use them for other ingredients? Like, yes, I think that you can. I mean, well? honey is, you know, not terribly thin. So really you could just spread honey on your face and it's going to stick on its own. I mean, like I said, I like honey mixed with a Greek style yogurt, but depending upon how thick or how thin that liquid that you want on your face, you could certainly soak a mask in it and then go ahead and apply it. I think my daughter made one with like ground flax seeds. We didn't, we didn't use it as an abrasive or anything. It was just literally putting it on for mm -hmm. you know, putting on the skin with the honey. And I think I tried that once she got me to do that. <laughs> the two of us, she did, did it work? It did. It made my skin really soft. Actually. Yeah. I found that it made it really soft because of the, uh, the flax seeds. So it's, uh, it definitely worked. This is fun. You know, yeah. like, so before we go, I just want to ask you really quickly, a couple of things, talk about your beekeeping. Cause I find it fascinating. Oh. It's more of like a hobby and I know it's not really perimenopause or menopause related, but it is in the sense that it's a, it's something that you love to do and you've found some, you found a passion. So just tell me a little bit about it. Cause I think it's so interesting. I just really fell in love with the idea of beekeeping. It probably took me five or six years before I had the courage to sign up and take a class and learn about beekeeping. I was so intimidated by the whole suit and the, the little smoker that you use and opening a box of wild animals and getting stung. The whole thing just terrified me, but I was really interested in how bees work in the 
ecosystem and how bee, bee populations are really declining. So I know some people will disagree with me and they're saying that the bee populations are not declining. That's not what I'm seeing in my area. And so I wanted to be part of the solution for being good stewards for beekeeping and helping keep the bee population diverse, which should help work against colony collapse disorder. And that's one of the problems that beekeepers are facing that sometimes entire colonies are collapsing. And most people don't realize that quite a bit of our food is related to beekeeping. So if that those plants are not pollinated by bees, we don't get to eat. So they're a crucial part of our food supply chain. And that was why I was interested into it. And I will say there is nothing like opening a hive of bees. The smell of the inside of a beehive, I find to be intoxicating. If I could have gotten this scent into my skincare, and it was oh, natural, wow. I would have done it because it smells like honey and wax. But I have learned so much from the bees and how they function together as a society. There's so many wonderful lessons on how they work together and um, support the hive. So it's just been a really fun experience. And yes, I have been stung before and I didn't die, <laughs> which is what I thought. Oh, oh, really? <laughs> What's interesting is I think for me, well, first of all, you, what you taught me about the bees is that they actually get to know you. They know thought, me. Yes. Well, so I, was... I speak to my bees while I'm working with them and I tell them what a good job that they're doing so that they get used to the sound of my voice. And I find that I can walk around my beehive. It is next to my garden and I can walk around my beehive without my bee suit on. They, they don't bother me. They don't sting me. So yeah. there's always guard bees that are standing at the front of the hive that are there to protect the hive. And generally you wouldn't walk very close in front of a hive. You're going to alert the guard bees that there is possibly an intruder. And I don't have any problems with that. Now I wouldn't recommend other people to do that, but because I'm always working with my bees, they learn to recognize the sound of your voice and who you are. And then it's much easier to work with them. And you were saying that it's primarily women. Let's talk about it's, that. Women empowerment in the bees. Let's. What it, are the lessons as women that we can learn from the bees and the queen bee? It is. So everything revolves around the queen bee and she keeps her own entourage. She has other worker bees that feed her and groom her and remove her waste product because the queen bee only leaves the hive once. And that is to do a nuptial flight where she is mating with other males. And once she comes back to the hive, she never leaves again. She lives the rest of her life out in that hive, unless for some reason they swarm. And that is a whole different conversation. But all the bees that are making honey are all the female bees. Uh -huh. Only the women are making the honey. And within the beehive, you have the undertaker bees, the ones that are pulling the dead bees out. You have the bees that are nurse bees that are helping the new bees that are hatching. It's all women. And the drones, which are the males, their goal is only to find a female to mate with, but there are way more drones than there are uh, queens out at any given time. So what I always thought was a little bit humorous is that during the summer, the female bees are out collecting all the nectar and all the pollen and they're making the honey and they're taking care of all the baby bees. And the boys are out just flying around having a good time. There's, the joke That's is that they're like the frat boys of the bees. And when fall comes, the queen makes sure that most of those frat boys do not get back in the hive for overwintering. They take up too much time and resources and they didn't contribute to them anyways. Isn't that like so interesting as far as like, you know, female goes like in terms of yeah. like, I, I found that fascinating. So I do too. I do too. Well, thank you for sharing. This has been really fun. Is there anything around skincare that you feel that we didn't cover that you'd like to leave our listeners with before we end today's interview? Yes, really quickly. If there is one thing you would like to do to improve your skin right now, please go drink a glass of water. Mm. If there, it is proven, be hydrated. It can help with both the deeper wrinkles and the fine lines. And if you are dehydrated, that is going to show up on your face. And the second thing is manage your stress because both of, both of those things, hydration and stress levels do show up on your skin. Yeah, those are great tips. And actually, you know, it's interesting because I remember hearing that hydration inside our body doesn't reflect outside our body. And I'm like, it doesn't make sense. It, you would think it would, right? So, but when we wake up, drink a glass of water, like I always say half your weight in ounces a day to try to, as a gauge, listen, we're all different, but try to do it. So do you recommend drinking 
first thing in the morning when we wake up and then drinking throughout the day? Like, do you have like a system or is it just like, just get in your water whenever you can? I think just get in your water whenever you can. If you're already okay. overwhelmed with so many things to do on your plate, that making a system for drinking water is overwhelming. Please just drink it when you can. Yeah. I drink tea all day long. I decaffeinated tea, like herbal tea. Yeah. That it. counts as liquid. Yeah. I love it. And it tastes great. And it's got like, if you don't like drinking plain water, because many of us don't like drinking plain water, you could put some chlorophyll in like some mint chlorophyll is yummy. You can squeeze some lemon. You can I would say lemon food. because the vitamin yeah. C in the lemon. So go ahead and add some citrus to your water. Your skin will thank you. Yeah. Just be careful of that because of your teeth. So right. that can, not too much. Have an issue. Not too much. And then you can drink it from a straw, but yeah, like you can do that. You can infuse fruits and like, there's so many things or vegetables, like so many things that you can do to make your water taste better. So hydration, 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 ladies, yeah. Susan, thank you. This was really, really You're welcome. Fun. So much fun. Thanks for coming. And I'll have you back when you launch FOSIS. So when is it going to come out FOSIS, your line? I'm hoping in spring 2024, we're okay. um, starting our own clinical trials because that's really important to me. And once we have the results of those, hopefully we will be ready to go. Perfect. And I would love our Morpheus community to try it and to support you. So this is exciting. We'll have you back on. Excellent. Thank you so much. That was really fun. I love Susan. I love her energy. And I love the fact that she's starting a new business while she's in perimenopause in her late 40s. So we'll have her back on once FOSIS, which is the name of her company, launches so that we can all support her in her endeavors. If you want to be on our podcast and be a guest and you're in our community, I'll put a link below of how to reach out to me so that we can consider having you on the show. If you enjoyed the interview, please share it because the more you share shows you care. Thank you for spending the last hour and a bit with me. I appreciate you and I'll see you at the next interview. 